We're going to read a passage in Romans. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be reading verses 12 through 17, although our focus will be on verse 17. It's Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. is the word of our God. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Sends a reading of the Lord's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you'd bless your word to us this morning, that you would remind us of your grace, that you would comfort us, Lord, with your good news, and that we might grow to be more like Jesus and to be willing to endure for his sake the sufferings of this world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I thought it's appropriate. There's a camping trip going on with church. Um, I'll tell a little story about a camping trip of my own. Uh, Maybe you've heard it. I like to tell a lot because it kind of ruined camping for me for a while. Um, My very first week of going to college, I did uh, a freshman orientation, and we went out into the woods. It was like 10 or 12 of us, whatever. We went into the woods, and we did, like, hardcore camping. Like, we were under a lean-to made of a tarp. We were cooking with those little Bunsen burner things. Um, It was hot. It was Pennsylvania. There was one billion mosquitoes. Um, it was terrible. I hated it. It was <laughs> awful. I got bit by a thousand mosquitoes. My ankles swelled up to twice their size. Uh, I didn't. I could not eat cold beans. Um, I did not like cold beans. Basically, everything that the church campout is, this was not. It was the opposite. Um, it was bad. But there was one memory that I appreciated uh, that still sticks with me because it was um, it was a good moment, right? One of the things was we want to reinforce uh, why you're here at college. So they send us out into the woods. We, we didn't know where we were. They just took us to place one by one, just drop off by yourself for about six hours. Um, and you have your notebook, you have a book, you have a Bible, and the goal is just to reflect and to have to sit there for hours to think about God. Um, and they have a few questions for us. To answer, the first question was, who are you? And I sat and thought about it and slapped a few mosquitoes and wrote, I am a child of God. I I truly felt that that simple statement defined me. Said everything that needs to be said about who I am. Everything else is secondary. But that one thing, that I'm a child of God, is the most important. And despite it being such a simple statement... Right? It's a deep statement. There's a lot of truth there. There's, it's a deep well of truth that we can continue to plumb and explore for our whole lives as we begin to understand why, what does it mean that we're children of God? How did we become children? How does that affect our lives? What does this mean for us? 
And these are important questions, right? They're, they're not simply intellectual or theological exercises. These are questions of identity and who we are and what that means for us. And these are the questions that Paul addresses in our passage today. So let's look at what Paul says. Because the first question is, that comes to mind, right, is how did we become children of God? I think if you start to look at this passage, you start to understand that Paul is saying, here's how you got here. Right, verse 14, which we just read, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the first thing we learn is that people become children of God by the initiation of the Spirit of God. In other words, you don't begin this journey, God begins it. And in case we're tempted then to say, well, God initiates, then you have to do your part. Verse 15, Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of, adoption, spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. In other words, not only does God initiate this, but he gives it completely and freely. That the Lord begins it, and it's a gift. It's not something you need to do. It's not something you need to prove or earn. The Lord chooses who he wants to be his child, and he gives it freely to them as a gift. Notice that nowhere in this passage does Paul say, it's because you worked really hard that you became a child of God. It's not because the Lord saw something in you right, that he didn't see in someone else. It's that the Lord saw this person, you and me, and said, I want that person in my family. And what we're tempted to say is, well, what do I bring to the table? Why me? Right? I don't have anything special going on. I'm not particularly useful. I don't have a lot of gifts. I'm not really zealous. I'm not a great Christian. But I think the, the common temptation that you feel is something that has always been felt. Right? Especially because in Rome, when Paul starts talking about adoption, what comes to people's mind is, oh yeah, people get adopted all the time. It's because they have something to offer the person adopting. This would happen constantly where even the emperors of Rome, right, the most powerful people in the entire world at that time, they would adopt because they wanted that person to be their heir. Because they had gifts or skills or they were, it was, it was to the advantage of the emperor. Because they look at their son and their son's kind of a deadbeat. He's kind of lame. They look at this other child who doesn't have parents and yet he's ambitious, he's powerful, he's strong. They say, yes, this is, will be my heir. It wasn't because they saw this person and loved them. It's because they saw someone that they could get something from. It was for the advantage of the one adopting. This is completely reversed when the Lord adopts someone. He adopts not for his own advantage, but for the advantage of the child. He doesn't adopt because he thinks that you can add something to him. In fact, if, if anything, you would take away. Right? You don't add anything to God's power, to his glory, to his might, to his majesty. But the Lord does not adopt people. He has not adopted you because he thought you were of an advantage to him. He adopted you for your advantage. So that you would have a family. So that you would have a father in heaven. 
It was because he loved you. And it was out of love and grace as a gift. And because of that, you are no longer an outsider. You're no longer a stranger to God. You don't have to address God as though he's a billion miles away. You don't need to hold the Lord at a distance. Right? In verse 15, Paul says, By whom we cry, the spirit of adoption, Abba, Father. We pray and call out to God as our Father. As someone who cares for us. Someone who is better than any earthly father. Someone who actually will love you perfectly forever. So if this is true about us, if we became children by grace, what does that mean? Why does that matter? And now we get to verse 17. Paul says, And if we are children, which we are, then this is what that means for you. You are an heir. And you say, great, that sounds wonderful. Thanks. Perfect. One question, what's an heir? Right, what is an heir? What does that even mean? And an heir is a child who inherits the family fortune. Right? It is a child who, who receives the all the blessings, all of the inheritance, all of the fortune that's been built up, it passes down to them. It's not something earned. It's something given. And Paul describes in two different ways how we are an heir. First he says in verse 17 that we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So there's a couple different ways we could understand what it means to be an heir of God. What does that mean? Um, I think... It means that we inherit all of the promises that God has made to his people. Every promise God has ever made to his people since the beginning of time, you inherit. That means that the promises that God made to Abraham, promises God made to Noah, to Abraham, did I say Abraham? Um, Don't forget Abraham, um, to Israel. And to all of his disciples in the New Testament, all of those promises that God has made throughout history, he promises to you. That he will fulfill all of those things for you. Even though you were not present when he made those promises. But you inherit them. Think about the parable right, that Jesus taught about the landowner who hired uh, a few guys to harvest his crops in the morning. And then he hired a few more guys in the afternoon. And then when evening rolled around, he hired a few more guys um, just to kind of clean up. Right? At the end of the day, though, he paid all of those laborers the same amount. Even though some worked all day and some worked for this much, he still gave them the same amount. That's what it means to be an heir of God. That no matter how long you have been a Christian, whether you've been a Christian your whole life, whether you've been a Christian for a few minutes, you receive the entire wage. Every promise. And that also means whether you've had a a life full of faithfulness and obedience and you've walked with the Lord for a long time, or whether you have had a struggling life and you've struggled with sin and doubt and brokenness your whole life. The wage is the same. The entire wage, the entire promise is yours. 
But Paul says that we're also co-heirs with Christ. He says we're fellow heirs with Christ. Uh, So not only do we inherit every promise that God has ever made, that also means that whatever Jesus receives as his inheritance, we also receive. And namely, that means that everything that Jesus earned, right? Because think about Jesus' life. He was perfect. He never sinned. He never failed. He was righteous for his whole, whole life. Everything that he earned by his righteousness, the Lord promises to you and says, it is also yours. Not because you have lived Jesus' life, but because you're also my children. And all of my children receive these blessings. And it's hard to imagine what that means, right? What, is, how, what would that even look like? We all look at our own lives and we don't feel like, we've, like we're righteous, like Christ is righteous. We don't feel like we've received everything. But yet, what the Lord says is, this is what is true about you, whether you feel it or not. Whether you see it or not. You are co-heirs with Christ. That means that you're going to receive in heaven everything that Christ receives. Glory. A crown. Eternal life. Perfection. You will reign with Christ. Not because you have earned the right to sit on the throne, but because God has said, you are my child. What belongs to Jesus belongs to us, which sounds too good to be true. Right? It does. It's like, how could that be? Right? There's got to be a catch. There's got to be a loophole or a fine print or something where, yeah, that all sounds great, but there's got to be something that I have to do, right, to fill that in. I have to earn it somehow. That's how life works. And we can read the next few ver- or letters, words, and we could say, aha, right, found the fine print. Because Paul says we're fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him. Right? To us, that sounds like, see, Paul's a good salesman, but I caught that fine print. There's something that I have to do. And yet, that's not what God is saying at all. He's not saying, here's what you must do in order to earn the inheritance. He's saying, the inheritance belongs to you. It is yours. But you still have to walk the same path to receive it that Christ received it. Because how do you receive an inheritance? Someone has to die, right? Uh, a son receives inheritance once his father has, has passed away. There is usually death involved before an inheritance is given. And the same is still true, even of the Lord's inheritances. Not because we will earn them, but because you cannot separate the inheritance from what Jesus went through. Because if you want to receive everything that Jesus received, you will still walk that path with Jesus. What that means, right, is notice how Paul says, provided we suffer with him. That we will suffer with Jesus. Not because we're going to have the exact same sufferings or because our sufferings will happen at the exact same chronological moment. 
But because we share in Christ's inheritance, we will share in his sufferings. Because that's how we will know and receive the inheritance. Because the purpose of the Christian life in this world is not to live comfortably. That's not the inheritance. The purpose of the Christian life is not to have everything that you want. That's not the inheritance. It's not to have the house you want, to have the car you want, to have the kids you want, to have the life that you want. The purpose of the Christian life is to walk as his sons and daughters, as Jesus walked. And that means that when he calls us to walk that path, we have to die to ourselves. Die to what we want in this life. Die even to our own fears and worries about what will happen tomorrow. Because we know what will happen tomorrow. Or whenever it is that the Lord will call us home. We will receive the inheritance. The true one. And suffering may look different for every Christian. It will not always look the same. For some, that might mean struggling with health issues for your whole life. Or for a very long time. For others, that may mean scars that will never heal. For others, it will be a struggle against sin, sin, and temptation, and failure. But none of these things disqualify you from being children of God. If anything, they are evidence that you are. They prove that you are indeed walking this path with Jesus. A path of suffering, but a path that ends in glory. Because this is the life that the Lord calls his sons and daughters to live. One of sacrifice and of suffering. Not because he's vindictive, not because he wants his children to hurt. But because you can't have resurrection without death. You can't have the inheritance without first going through this path. And if that's how the Lord would treat his own son, his firstborn son, Jesus, that's how he will treat you. Because as much as he loved Jesus, he loves you just as much. So believe that your sufferings are not empty. That they're not worthless. That in fact, this is how the Lord is bringing you to the inheritance. That it's through this that the Lord is leading you to glory. Not around suffering, but through it. That's why James says to count suffering as joy. Not because it feels good, but because as you co-suffer with Christ, you will be co-glorified with him too. Because that's what Paul says in our passage. Provided we suffer with him in order that in order that we may also be glorified with him. As I said earlier, this this is not the fine print to the inheritance, because this is the inheritance. Suffering and then glory. That's what the Lord has in store for us. 
and it's far better than we can imagine. It doesn't make sense to the world. Right? It, it, it seems like a foolish thing to the world. Why would you want to suffer? And the world will say things like, well, because you're suffering, clearly you don't have enough faith. Or because you're suffering, clearly God doesn't love you. Because you're suffering, you must have made a terrible mistake. These are all the things that Job's friends told him. That you're going through this because you don't have enough faith, because God hates you, and all you should do is just curse God and die. That's what makes sense to the world. But when you start to see it through the eyes of the cross, it does make perfect sense. Because first we have to die before we are resurrected. That if Christ's death and suffering led to eternal life and glory and peace with God, that's what we should do too. That's what we should want and be joyful in. Because that's the path. Not because we will earn it through our suffering, but because it's a privilege and a joy to walk with God. And remember also that this inheritance is already earned. That you're not going to earn it in this life. But it's already yours by a gift. And so we thank God for that. Thank God and thank Jesus. So as we come before the the supper this morning, we also get to see that God has not left us alone. He doesn't just toss us into the void of suffering and say, just sit here until I come get you. He gives us constant reminders of what it's about. He gives us things to remind us every single week that your suffering is not in vain. That, in fact, what Christ did on the cross led to glory and peace and earned the inheritance for you. And that's what the supper is about. Because it shows us Christ's death. It shows us what he has done for us. And it shows us that he is not here anymore. Right? This is not literally the body and blood of Christ. Because he's somewhere else. He's already in glory. But even still, we get to participate with him, to be connected to him through the Spirit, and see the supper as just a small taste of what's to come, a feast, a glorious one, where all of our suffering and pain will be washed away. So let's give thanks to God. Let's pray and give thanks to him, and then uh, receive the supper. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, we thank you so much for everything you've done for us. We thank you that you have made us children, that that's where our identity is now, not in anything else. We thank you, Lord, that you constantly provide for us, that you set a table for us in the presence of our enemies, that you feed us in the wilderness. Lord, as we walk this life full of sufferings and trials and temptations, we ask that you give us the grace to keep our eyes on what is to come, that there is a goal and a purpose that you have for us that is better than we can imagine. Lord, be with us. Bless us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.